Readings from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eyes are man of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Promised you uh, another reading as well from Proverbs, and it's Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, or just maybe think of the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. The ant has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? Great word, Dad. When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we do indeed come to you now with these passages in our mind and difficult subjects ahead. But we just give ourselves to you now and ask that you would touch us afresh with Holy Spirit, that you set us on fire, that we may serve you in the way that you're called us. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. Well, this morning is uh, indeed the start of a new series. Now, if you sit down uh, with a meal uh, with friends, or uh, if you've been to a wedding recently and you're on the table and you don't really know anyone on the table, there are certain subjects which are completely taboo. Politics is one. Money is definitely another. And religion is probably a close third, might actually be first, uh, except when you're on a table as I was at a wedding two weeks ago, when half the table were because I wonder why we were put together. <laughs> and there were even then different subjects upon which I would not embark. Now, it's not polite that's what I was always told, it's not polite in society to discuss some of these subjects. But whoever compiled that list clearly hadn't read the Bible, or certainly hadn't counted the verses in the Bible that talk about such things as money. To be fair, I haven't counted them either, but I am told 
and I read that about two-thirds of uh, the uh, texts relating to Jesus relate to money and finance, either directly or indirectly, as a means of illustration. Some of them will be obvious to you, some of them probably less obvious, but the more you start thinking about it, the more obvious it does become, the rich young ruler. And obviously the uh, eye, uh, where the camel's going through the eye of the needle, the widow's might, which I looked at a little earlier, the tenants' payments, the owner's son, the vineyard, the field of great price, Zacchaeus, and so on and so on. They all use wealth or means or um, our prosperity as an illustration. But it's really the focus in those passages which is important. The rich young ruler could not get his head around having to give up what was important to him in order to follow Jesus. The widow, on the other hand, knew what it was to give up everything and trust in Jesus. Zacchaeus is changed from the inside and the, in the light of that transformation promises to give back fourfold to anyone that he has extracted too much. And so it is in the passage that we're looking at today. The opening sentences speak about a, uh, a view on the world and our possessions in a different way. Do not store up for yourselves possessions which will rust or rot. Aim for something of real value, eternal value. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now this uh, series on giving is not just about uh, financial giving. We're going to look on how to develop a lifestyle of godly focus, an understanding of the generosity of God, how we might live a biblical lifestyle with a heart full of compassion. And connect groups may wish to follow it as well. You should all have the book, it's by John Ortberg, uh, called Giving, Unlocking the Heart of Good Stewardship. And we're going to follow some of his um, unpacking of the Bible, but his questions and his guidance. Now, I have to say, talking about money is, um, normally it comes pretty easily to a vicar, I have to say, uh, for two principal reasons. Firstly, they pay so little that to them it's pretty easy. And secondly, of course, they can stand behind the Bible and say, it's not me that's saying it, it's the Bible. Both of those are true, but the first is inaccurate. We are all called, all of us, are called to consider our attitude with whatever and however much we have. This is not a passage just for those above a certain salary. The teaching does not stop when you retire. This is about our perspective on God, the world, and the people around us. And as you know, I have spent most of my life working for an organisation simply to make a profit. So I know exactly how you're feeling just at this moment. The reading from Proverbs was interesting, I thought, because 
it was quite clear that to sit and do nothing is equally wrong. We are called to use whatever gifts we have. And we work together to use those gifts in the best possible way. We have the wonderful event where it will take place from 12 onwards. I'm sure many of us will wander over possibly before 12 uh, for our family fun day. Where as many people as possible, particularly those with kids, are welcome and it's a real outreach to the chatterbox parents. People of our parish. And it's going to cost the church money to put it on. But more than that, it's taken hours of thought, hours of preparation, people going off to buy things, people placing orders, the balloon man and the bouncy castle man and the face paints and everything else that we will have. All of that has been gifted and is a gift through what we do. So to do nothing is wrong. We must use the gifts that we have been given. You may also remember the absentee landlord who is gone, of course, in the parable, who leaves money to those uh, behind in order that they can do something with it. And they're in charge of his money, whether that's a lot or a little, it didn't matter. God still wanted them to do something with it. And therefore we're not called to sit on our hands and be hermits. We don't shun society in order to prove how spiritual we are. Just to prove that we rely on different ethical and financial means. We do that by living in the world. And changing the world by our attitudes and our perspective. We are to put to use the gifts that God has given us. Time, energy, skills, and yes, of course, our money. We are stewards of all that God has given to us, and we make the best use of everything that we have, within the perspective and in the knowledge that we've been blessed by God. And our good fortune and our wealth, of whatever type it is, comes from God. It's not rooted in the object itself. Our identity is not in the money that we have. It is by the person, the God, who gave us that gift in the first place. Now many of us will attend uh, the funeral of Nancy this week. We will hear many things that Nancy has done. She has had an enormous impact on many, many people over her long life of 89 years. Uh, and I've been to a number of funerals recently and you hear lots about the character of that person, uh, their achievements, their successes, their family, and all of that is absolutely right and proper. There are fewer funerals, however, that I attend where the nature and character of that person is put in the context of where they gained their character. It's all about their achievements, their success, their abilities, their wealth, their prosperity, their generosity, 
And the person that we miss out in this is God, from whom we derive all of those things. John Altberg uses a telling phrase in his book. He calls our attitude to money a litmus test of our character. Now, do you remember your days uh, in school where you had to dip a piece of litmus paper into a chemical? Mm, Some of you clearly do. Some of you clearly it's too far away. (laughs) Let me remind you. If you place a litmus test into a liquid, it will go either red or blue, depending upon whether it's finding something acidic or alkaline. So it changes colour depending upon what it finds. So I find it interesting that John Walker calls our attitude to money a litmus test. It's the same for us. The litmus paper applied to our life can change colour depending upon where we gain our strength, how we develop our perspective, and how we work it out. It is, in effect, our biography. I know that I've said that this is a general focus, but God is, of course, interested in money. What was the word I picked out in Mark 12 about the widow's might? Watched. It was watched. Jesus sat with his disciples and watched. He was interested in what people were giving. Not, I suspect, as would seem coming through in the text, because of how much they were giving, but what they were giving from their wealth. He watched. Jesus is actively watching their behaviour. Money was important to him. It's the attitude of the person that was important to him. And if Jesus was to watch my behaviour, my attitude to money and worldly things, what would the litmus paper show? How would I feel about God watching me? So going back to Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasure is obviously something of value, something of importance, something of worth, it's a matter if it's financial or sentimental. Treasure is something that we're seeking, we desire, we want it. And it drives our thinking. I don't know if you've taken up uh, a new sport or a new hobby or what's on your uh, um, bucket list at the moment, uh, but I started playing golf with um, some school friends of mine, um, so I've, I've invested in some new clubs, anything to try a little bit harder, make it easier. But I, I was ridiculed into it really by my friends. Some of those that I play with have had three sets of new clubs in the last ten years. Three sets of new clubs in the last ten years. I said, mine are quite good, I like my clubs. And when I looked up when I last bought them, it was 23 years ago. They're not quite wooden shafts, but close. So I have got some new clubs. But if you take up a subject, you read everything there is about it. You think about it, you dream about it, you want to go and do it all the time. So it's important for us, as followers of God, to work out what drives us, where is our focus, 
What is the treasure that we're seeking? Because if that drive is purely on our work, earning that next promotion, earning a little bit more money, perhaps even a lot more money, then our treasure is in achievement. And then that becomes the object of our desire. What we can achieve. And we leave behind God. So what does this passage say about our focus, we should, or what we should focus on? It uses the illustration of the eyes. The eyes see the desire of the heart. Where are we looking? The passage obviously prepares a focus on God to a focus on money. But, as I've said, it is illustrative. We should focus on God. Why? Oh, perfect love. Oh, perfect sacrifice. Fountain of life poured out for me. What heights, heights and depths of heaven's mercy, the faithfulness that I believe. And to whom shall I run? To whom shall I hide? Only you, God, hold the truth I desire. Oh, perfect love, my prayer shall ever be to be found in Jesus. Oh, perfect love, forever I shall sing of heaven's gates flung wide for me, where fear of death and tears of hopelessness are swallowed up in victory. And what praise shall be sung still to the Holy One, to the Saviour, Redeemer and King? Oh, perfect love, my song will ever be. I am found in Jesus. I pray that during this series on giving, we might not just close our hearts and minds and our eyes to the fact that I can't give any more of my money. But we may actually open our eyes, open our hearts, and open our understanding that God has given us everything. And so we come back to God with open hands, offering to God what is right and proper, and not what we consider suitable. Let us pray. Let's just spend a moment in silence, just to consider our own reflection. We know our own situations, we know the gifts that we've been given and we have all been given gifts. We may not believe it, we may not see that. Ask someone else, they'll tell you. Be it administratively, creatively, the energy that you have, the way that you speak to people, the way that you pray. Let's lay our gifts before God. Let's open our hands and offer to God all that we are. But when we, in turn, come before God, he may say, I found you.
because you are in 